collective psalms. And as I said, I had originally planned certain things regarding psalms. And God says, wait a minute, why are you going over this psalm? And I said, okay, let's look at it. And, and Psalm 66 is one of those that, um, you know, we, we often appreciate a lot of various aspects of the book of Psalms. And yet some of them, it's like, okay, yeah, I've read this before. And, and in particular, when it talks about praise. But one of the things that really challenged me as I looked at Psalm 66 was personally um, my attitude toward praise, uh, giving praise to God and, and my response to that. And... Um, as I read Psalm 66, 1 through 4, I want you to, to think in your mind um, this question. Does this passage describe my life this last week? And on a scale to 1 to 10, we want you to rate that, okay? So, Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and sing praise unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. And then it says, Selah, stop and think about this. Now think about this last week. Was your life described as making a joyful noise unto God, singing forth the honor of his name, making his praise glorious, saying, God, what a awesome God that you are. As you think about that, we'll dismiss the three years old through six years old to go downstairs, okay? So the three years old through six years old can go downstairs. I don't know about you, but I think for a vast majority of us, our praise to God tends to be, this is a personal thing. This is a thing I do. And, and we'll be touching on that. It, it indeed is a very personal thing. But those of you that enjoy campfires, you know the experience of after, if you've neglected the campfire at all, there ends up being embers of coals that are spread around. And you may think the fire's out, basically, and then you rake the embers of those coals together and you put them in a pile and you're amazed at the heat and before long there's probably flames that are coming up there and and individually they would have died out rather rapidly. We're not putting off much heat. And yet when you bring it corporately together, 
It produces something that you can't produce individually. Psalm 66 begins with an exhortation for us to praise God together corporately. Now, we don't have time to deal with all the issues in regard to praise to God and and worship in those things. But going back to my illustration of the embers of coal, it's not like you bring a soaked piece of wood to church and we create an atmosphere that then creates praise to God in your heart. That's not how God designed it. God designed us to personally have a strong, vibrant relationship with God that is, is filled with praise to God. And then as we gather together, it should even be more vibrant and, and more um, life-giving, if you please, in the illustration of bringing the embers together. See, genuine worship is born in the heart. Genuine praise is born out of a personal walk with God. It's not created through a certain atmosphere. It's not created through um, certain just songs that make me feel good. Genuine praise to God is is something that begins in our heart, in our relationship to God, through us knowing God. And then as we corporately come together, it, um, it has the, the atmosphere, it has the contributions one to another that produces something that, as I said, you can't produce on, on your own. If you rated on a scale of 1 to 10, um, if your score was somewhere down near the bottom half of the scale, then uh, Psalm 66 should be of help to us. If you rated yourself or a, a 9 or a 10, um, let me know and I'll switch places with you and you can preach the rest of the message, okay? Um, I, I confess that there is a lot of room in my life for improvement in this whole aspect of praise to God. He begins in verse 1, Shout joyfully or make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. The Hebrew verb that is used here is is literally a loud shout or a trumpet blast with the connotation of victory. When when I was uh, a youngster living in Minneapolis or Minnesota area, there was a, a sportscaster on the radio that closed every sportscast by saying, and remember, when you lose, say little. When you win, say less. And it was his way of emphasizing sufficient. You know what it emphasized, okay? Why does he have to, why, why do we have to tell people um, 
you know, don't go overboard in celebrating your victory. I've, I've never yet had any coach say or, or anyone say, hey, you just won. Act like it. Celebrate it. It comes naturally, doesn't it? Yeah! You know, the last second shot. Woo! Run around the court and everybody floods the court. And, woo! They don't go, hey, we just won. But that's we as Christians. We're on the winning side. We do a really, really bad job of celebrating the victory as Christians. And part of it is our own pride. But you know what? Pride doesn't stand in the way of somebody celebrating a victory, do they? They'll, they'll score a goal in soccer and they'll run and they'll slide on their knees and hit a dry spot and land on their nose and they don't care. Everybody's piling on them or whatever, you know. We've all seen the fails. They don't care. They're celebrating. And the psalm, this psalm, he begins right out of the gate. Make a joyful shout unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you come thinking, oh boy, endure the song service, wonder what losers they picked today, that you just don't enjoy singing. He doesn't say, sing forth the honor of his name if you enjoy singing. He says, sing forth the honor of his name. Show forth, make his praise glorious. He's he's not saying this is something that you're pumped up by some enthusiasm that's created externally. But rather, the emphasis is on, on the inner spiritual treasuring of the character and the ways of God. It is cherishing Christ. It is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. So he he begins, praise him exuberantly. Extend his praise worldwide. Take time to contemplate. His awesome works. Verse 3, say unto God, How awesome or terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power, thine enemies shall submit themselves unto thee. So, basically, in the first four verses, or in the first half, I should say, of this psalm, he's encouraging us to praise God corporately. And we'll just list what he does here. To praise God corporately, number one, for what he will do. We think, wait a minute, to praise God for what he will do? Notice verse 6. I mean verse 3, sorry. We just read it. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. That is looking forward to the reign and rule of God. 
You know, one of the things, you read the New Testament, and they are continually looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You look, Jason brought it out, the the song, How Great Thou Art. How many of the songs that we sing, the last verse is talking about heaven. It's talking about the reign and rule of God. But the reality is, in this life, we can be weighed down with ISIS, with Republicans, with Democrats. You're saying, wow, you're putting all of They're about all the same, if you want to know the truth. No, I'm just stretching it there. But we can get put down, weighed down with all these things, the weather, all these things, our own life. But when we think, wait a minute, God is going to come and make things right. And all the nations of the earth, all the enemies shall submit themselves unto thee. Verse 4, all the earth shall worship thee. And sing unto thy name, they shall sing to thy name. Do you understand? There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will reign for 1,000 years over this earth. He will reign and rule with the rod of iron. He will fulfill the command, the promises that he gave to Israel. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And they are looking forward and they said, God, I praise you that You are going to bring these things to pass. Though it may seem the rebellious nations are not under his sovereign control, God works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 tells us. Do you understand he does this constantly in every age and every generation? He has never ceased to rule and he never will. His dominion extends from age to age and will stretch forever. And we need to be reminded of that. And we need to praise God. God, I praise you that you are the sovereign God, that you are in control and the nations of the earth will do your bidding. He is unchanging in his power, and as people, as his people, we can confide in that, and the wicked should fear that. So we praise him for what he will do. But then notice verse 5. We find an invitation. Come and see the works of God. So he's coming to invite us to see the works of God, and corporately we should praise him for what he has done. Come see the works of God. He is terrible in his doings toward the children of men. And then they start listening. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He ruled by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. He's bringing out and reminding Israel the things that God has done. And throughout the Psalms, we we read this over and over again. See, he talks about him leading us through the flood on foot. He delivered us. Come see the works which God has done and learn 
who he is and what he does by this. The application for us is that our corporate worship as believers should be centered on the New Testament fulfillment of God's redemption of his people. Namely, looking to Christ, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we take it so for granted. We sometimes check out the message of the cross that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, gave himself to buy us back from our sins. He was then miraculously raised from the dead. He ascended on high and he is returning in power and glory to judge the earth. And that is our hope. And that's what we ought to rejoice in as we gather together every, every Sunday. Every time we gather together in church, we go out into the world. We go as lights into the world. We are to represent and carry the witness. And yet, our own heart... And our own surroundings, we can get weighed down with it. And we need to be reminded in our personal walk with God and corporately that, wait a minute, look what God has done. We sang the song, and that's why I snatched it out of Jason's hand before he sat down. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life. Amen? Then your spirit gave me life, opened your word to me. Was there ever a time where after you came to know Christ, you opened the word and it's like, wow, Wow, I get it. That That is speaking to me. If there has never been that time in your life, you better go back and check whether the Spirit of God has ever done a work in your life. See, this is remembering the things that God is doing now, the things that God has done. God, I had no taste for heaven's joys, no ears to hear, and then your Spirit gave me life. We walk in, sit down, okay, how great thou art. So Jason says, let's at least smile when we, how great thou art. When I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. It's the truth. We get so accustomed. Oh, yeah, God died for me. God so loved the world. He gave his one begotten son. Who believed in him? Shut up and never let him. Amen. Go on. What's the next point? Tell me something I don't know, Pastor. The problem is we need to go back to what we do know because our praise is so lacking. When's the last time your heart was filled with, with genuine praise to God? The reason is we don't know him enough. We don't think on what he's done and I'm speaking to myself, every day we ought, to, we ought to wake up and say, God, then your spirit gave me life, opened your word to me through the gospel of your son. You have given me endless hope 
and peace. Oh, man, thank you, God. I think the most joyous service that I have ever been in in my life was a service in Kiev, Ukraine. It was a group of Messianic Jews who had come to know Christ as Savior. They were looking for the Messiah, and they found him. And they, they were filled with joy. I mean, they, they were joyous. You could tell just in the way they were singing, and, and they were, were making this personal. And it was like, then your spirit gave me life, and it was like, yes, yes, yes. We need a revival of what God has done. And that's why he invites us to come. Think about the things that God has done. We need to go on, but the next phrase, we corporately praise him for what he will do. We praise him for what he has done. And notice Praise him for what he has done. It begins with what he has done for us in Christ. And Brother Lester Roloff used to say, if, if all that God ever did for me was save me, he is worthy of all my praise all my days. Not minimizing it, but we say, well, God didn't, God didn't give me that new car that I wanted, or God didn't give me this, or God. He has given you life. He has given you forgiveness. But then it takes it to another realm. Verse 10, for thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon us. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. We we corporately praise him for his testings. I mean, they're talking about the nation of Israel had been into Babylonian captivity. The men rode over their heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us into a wealthy place. God often takes us into deep waters not to drown us, but to cleanse us. And it may feel like we're drowning at times, but God wants to show us not just to cleanse us. He wants to show us who he is. And we'll never see the light of Christ in fully who he is except through some of those dark valleys that God leads us into for his glory. Verse 12 is really the language of the people after their return from exile And when they had been permitted to be brought back into their native land, a land that was always characterized by a land of plenty. So, he says, as we gather together, we need to to praise God for what he's going to do, praise God for what he has done, and praise God for the testings that he brings into our life. 
But then he goes on and deals with personally. I will go unto thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. We praise God personally by fulfilling our vows. When we trusted Christ, we said, I will be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do we still have our eyes on him? Are we fixed on following him? Or are we following some man or some church or some priority that we've established? No, I am going to fulfill the vows that I have made. There are many times that we make vows. God, if you would just answer this prayer, I will do such and such. The psalmist is saying here, I am going to praise God by fulfilling my vows to God. What I've said to God, I'm going to be a follower of you. I'm not turning aside to anything else. Fulfilling God. We don't have time. All I'm going to do is mention it. Fulfilling God by the vows of our marriage. You know, I I used to not like doing weddings a whole lot. But I'm getting to like them more and more. One reason is it's a reminder to every married couple that's at the wedding These are the vows that you made, and you better be sticking by it. You know what? Every time you love your wife as Christ loves the church and fulfill your vows, and every time you honor your and respect your husband, that's praise to God. God says, oh, look at that. They're fulfilling the vows. We have to quickly go on. Notice another invitation, verse 16. Come and hear, all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. We praise God personally by telling others what he has done for our soul. He's redeemed my soul. He's pardoned my guilt. He's given me peace and joy. He's given me victory. Over sin, he's given me comfort in death. I don't need to fear death. He's given me the promise of heaven. What has God done for your soul? That's just quickly listing these things. But to tell others what God has done for our soul. We've gotten in Christianity where we emphasize what God will do for your external life and God affects every area of our life but the first work God does is in our soul and then we praise him personally for the privilege of prayer I cried verse 17 unto him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me but verily God hath heard me He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. I would venture to say that the overwhelming majority of us, the only verse we knew from Psalm 66 was Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And that is an an important truth. And I have preached that and, and the importance of cleansing our heart. But the overriding 
message of Psalm 66 is we are to be vessels of praise to God. And one thing that we should praise him for is the privilege of prayer. And he's saying, I cried unto the Lord with my mouth and the Lord heard me. And if I show that my heart is clinging to sin, the Lord will not hear me. But the Lord heard me, so I will praise him for this privilege of prayer. God has graciously condescended to listen to the voice of my supplications. He's graciously condescended to listen to our... I don't want to pop your bubble, but we're all nobodies here, okay? I love southern Iowa, but you know what? It's the flyover zone, okay? And I don't care where you are, you're a nobody compared to God. I don't care where you are in Washington, D.C. or Moscow or wherever, you're a nobody. God condescended to listen to me. Every day, I take it so for granted. Let's pray that God would listen to me. In Jesus' name, that's a reminder to us, the only access we have to God is not, I've been serving God for 40 years. No, big whoop. There's sequoia trees out in California that have been serving him a lot longer than that. Showing forth his praises every day. But in Jesus Christ, God listens to my prayer. Right there. That ought to make us praise him the rest of our days. I mean, you know the difficulty of trying to get a hold of a real person in customer service. You know, you've been there. You can get a hold of the real God. Any time that you want, the privilege of prayer. See, praise is our duty. And a lot of people don't like duty. But it is our duty. It is our responsibility. Because, number one, of a love for God. Our praise is lacking because we don't know God enough. We don't, we don't know Him enough to really love Him. Our Praise is our duty because of a gratefulness of heart. I mean, if someone does, we teach our kids from the very beginning, they gave you a piece of gum. What do you tell them? What do you tell them? Uh, Oh, thank you. How many times? What do you tell them? What do you tell them? What do you tell them? You get tired of what to tell them. But we're the same way with God. Praise is is thanksgiving to God. It is our duty because of love for God and gratefulness to God and love for others. That, look at this is a come, come, look at this is what God did for my soul. Let, let me tell you, I mean, if you found a cure for cancer and never told anyone about it, I don't know. You may even be arrested for keeping that from people. But apart from that, that would be a crime. That would be that would be disgusting. We have way more than a cure from cancer. Here are people 
that we live with and work with that have no hope, they have no peace, they, they have no promise of the future, they are completely, completely helpless and hopeless, what we sang about earlier. And the two great commands, love God and love others. Love God. Okay, God, I'm going to give praise to you. Loving others, come, come, come behold the works of our great God. Come behold the works of God. That's praising God with the realm of others. See, we need to really, really, really rejoice. Christ redeemed me. He rescued me. He ransomed me. I willingly went into slavery and there was no way out of it, but Christ came and he set, broke the chains and he forgave me and he pardoned me. And I rejoice in that and I also rejoice that God is in control. The British minister William Sangster began to lose his voice and mobility in the latter part of his life. He had a disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. He recognized that the end was near, so he threw himself into writing and praying. And in the midst of his suffering, he pleaded with the Lord, Let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, But give me just a regiment to lead. Sangster's voice eventually failed completely. His legs became useless. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and he shakily wrote his daughter a letter. In it, it, he said, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. We have voices. Are we shouting forth the praises of God? I'm going to ask Jason if he'd come and lead us in the song. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but...